passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Well, everybody, our guest today has so many accolades that if I were to go through all of them, uh, we'd be all out of time. But suffice to say, uh, this man has done everything within the industry of professional wrestling. This coming July, we'll celebrate his 61st anniversary in the industry. A pleasure to welcome Les Thatcher here to Post Wrestling. Les, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, John, and, and always a pleasure to talk with you. I like to talk to real uh, reporters. It's really cool to do that. Well, I I appreciate that you pu- you put me into that uh, category. Um, you know, we're going to talk a, a lot about Brian Pillman today. Uh, but first of all, uh, I know that a, a couple of months ago, uh, you went through a real big uh, health battle related to COVID. I just wanted a, a quick update because I know of a lot of our listeners, uh, we talked about it when it happened, when you disclosed this back in January. How, how are you doing several months after the fact? I actually w- uh, was in the gym just, uh, what, three hours ago. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, actually, it, it hit me hard. It really did. I, uh, <clears throat> I had the COVID pneumonia, mm-hmm. which is a little more complicated, they tell me. Uh, I, I dropped 14 pounds in seven days, which is not healthy at any age. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and uh, it was, you know, a lot of people had told me this, but once actually I was done with the virus, it just, it was, uh, the strength coming back was, was a slow process. Of course, as you get older, that's slow anyway, but, but this was a little more, uh, so than I had been accustomed to, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm good now. I've had both, uh, the Pfizer vaccination. So, but I'm still wearing my mask because I'm still a bit paranoid in the gym about those around me, you know? Yeah, it's, it's going to be such an interesting, you know, year, or I should say plural, years to come of, you know, just seeing, especially at the independent level, what the, you know, you would probably have a great perspective on this, Les, is that for independent talent that maybe have had a handful, if any, wrestling matches over the last year of once shows get resuming, like how much of an impact that's going to have on them kind of missing a year of improvement, of working with different guys and getting back into that rhythm when they're at such a young age in their development. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. It's going to cost them. Uh, You know, something I've always said to people, too, I I feel that the, the the generation, the 20 years that I wrestled from 1960 to 1980, I feel, or at least in my lifetime, were the golden years for, for the business. So many great workers to be with, in the ring with, over that period of time. And to me, part of the reasoning for that is we were going five to seven nights a week. And you got to, you could do this in your sleep. I, I used to tease. I said, call me at 3 a.m., wake me up and call a spot and I'll run it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it becomes second nature. And these kids today don't have that opportunity. Plus we had, uh, several veterans in every dressing room. I don't care how small the company was. You always, you know, had 
veterans to critique you or to push you, or if you didn't behave yourself, to make you a little taller if they decide they need to. So, yeah, it's 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 a whole different world, and uh, you know it, it's crazy. Uh, I know a lot of the younger kids say, "God, we wish we really lived back then." I said, "You'd feel a lot different about the business today if you had been in it back then." I'm sure. Certainly, yeah, I, I have no doubt about that. Um, you know, part of the reason. Um, you know, uh, Brian Pillman is kind of front and center. It's, uh, you know, the Dark Side of the Ring documentary came out last week. And you and uh, Joe Dombrowski have also uh, done commentary and put out the Brian Pillman Memorial Anthology, uh, which, you know, harkens back to what became Pillars when it came to major shows of the year from 98 through 2001. And I have to imagine, Les, that these are shows that are constantly brought up to you and getting to sit back and and, and look back at these shows uh, so many years removed from them. Uh, that had to be quite quite a quite an experience to go back and relive what I can only imagine were some of the most frantic months in the lead up to these shows for yourself. Yeah, you must have been there, John, to say frantic, because you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the, the whole thing, as you mentioned, started in 98. Uh, Brian and I both uh, born and raised Cincinnati boys. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thing was, after his passing, it was like, maybe we should run a, a little uh, benefit show, operative word, little, you know, to help the family. And that, and that first show was run in Norwood's uh, junior high school gym, which is where Brian grew up and went to school. And um, it's we had like 1,300 people in the building. We had to turn away all, over 400 people wow. uh, on that first show. And we had no idea. I mean, it was even going to, you know, grow that big. Uh, you know, and first of all, we, you know, obviously uh, we had Jericho and, and Benoit on our first main event. And then uh, <clears throat> Sonny. And uh, Steve Austin, we're going to come. And Meltzer had said to me in a conversation, well, you know, if you had somebody from ECW, you'd have the big three. And it really had never crossed my mind. I didn't know I had not met Paul E. at that time, but I did know uh, Chris Candido and had a good relationship with him. I gave him a call. And so he uh, brokered that for me with Paul and Al Snow was working ECW time, who lived just an hour and a half up the road from Cincinnati anyway. So we hit the trifecta. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud of those shows and of the people. We had volunteers every week. I finally had a committee of about nine people. And you're talking about Fran. We started meeting uh, within the second year, the second, third, and fourth year, seven months, once a week before the shows, you know, to get everything squared away and put together. And uh, they just, no one, I don't think anyone had a clue how that it would grow. And uh, I know somebody on, I don't know, it was Facebook or Twitter or someplace that uh, they've taken on a mythical uh, proportions. I said it's because they were all special. And I, I think the great thing about this anthology that we're putting out is if you weren't at a Pillman show, you've never seen any of this footage. I mean, it's fresh for everybody. And Joe has done such a marvelous job of putting the thing together. You know, he went through every disc and VH test tape that I had in my possession, and I'm seeing things that I didn't even know I had. And uh, but I'm really proud of it. And uh, it's it's over 15 hours of content in four discs. 
It covers uh, all four of the shows, 90, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. We're missing a couple of uh, some time on the 99 show, but the other three shows are complete. And of course, the Benoit Regal match from uh, 2000 uh, has taken on mythical proportions as well, hasn't it? Yeah, and you know, you, um, part of it is you also introduce like the independent showcase, and there's a singles match on, on one of them. And I don't know whatever happened to these two individuals. Maybe you can provide an update. But there's an independent match between uh, John Cena and Randy Orton, who I guess this was kind of their peak. Last you never heard from these two again. I've heard of those guys, yeah, somewhere <laughs> down the line. <clears throat> well, they were both in OVW at the time because at, at the 2001 show. Uh, RHWA, my HWA and OVW were both uh, developmental uh, contracts with WWE. And so, you know, we had the option of guys out of OVW plus the guys on my roster. So that uh, <clears throat> there were, my, I couldn't even begin to start sit here and count how many future stars were on that 2001 show. No, it's staying when you uh, see the list. Yeah, of the the people that are just before they've even really bro broken through that are on some of these these showcases. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh Nigel McGuinness, uh Steve Carino, um one of the best matches in that 2001 was for the uh Shark Boy, uh Pepper Parks who is now Blade, uh Matt Striker, my Matt Striker, uh, the original one, and Chad Collier. <clears throat> also, you know, but so many of these guys, you know, the great thing for me, John, um, is during these shows to see how the guys, the, the guys from the major companies, how they treated these. I mean, there was nobody sl slacking. There was nobody saying, oh, I don't want to be, you know, I'd rather not do this or something and realize that those guys for us to do this show is either on a Wednesday or Thursday. They gave up their day off not to be at home or to rest. They came in and well, if you get a chance to see this and I hope you do, every match is a good one. I mean, there's nobody out there phoning it in, right? It's, it's uh, everybody busted their hump. And of course I, I'm going to say this, Benoit, God love him. Uh, you know, he and he and Jericho were the main event for the first one. He and Dean Malenko against uh, Ray Ray, <clears throat> excuse me. And Conan, headline number two and of course number three was he and and regal and when when that match was over i already knew i had the title and my main event for number four was going to be uh regal benoit the return pillman 01 but of course chris had the uh neck surgery and we couldn't do it and, and uh regal would call me early early that year and he said with you know he said i can only have that match with a couple people and the other people aren't in this country or even in this hemisphere. Um, and he said it would not do justice to, to Chris nor to the fans, you know, for me just to work with somebody else. I'll come, do whatever you want me to do. But I agree with him 100%. And he showed up and was one of our VIP guests. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, um, something special in every one of those shows. And the cool thing, too, is uh, – Brian Jr. and I sat here in my living room and uh, kicked around some remembrances from those shows together and, and showed some posters and stuff that I, I that I have here. But then we've got Mark Henry, DDP, Shark Boy, uh, Jericho, Matt Hardy. Um, I'm trying to think of who else we got on this day. I think that 
Pepper Parks, all the guys who had been on the shows, given their sound bites and their remembrances of the shows and of Brian himself. And uh, Joe has gone and found uh, commercials that I had made that were aired on Cincinnati television for those shows. And I mean, I, I tell you the truth, I've seen the cover. I love the cover. I don't have a copy. John, if you can get me one, I would appreciate it. Well, I mean, I, the, I, I'm go going ahead. to be in the process of uh, of ordering one, so maybe we'll we'll, we'll have to <laughs> both of us will have to go uh, secure copies here because I, I definitely like I've I've only got to see over the years like the the Benoit Regal match that uh, you know was on the Benoit DVD and that was you know so many years ago. So for a lot of sure. this, it's like you've heard the legend of the Pillman shows, but not actually getting a chance to to see them in full. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And well, you know, and the crazy thing with Joe and I sat here and uh, now the, the, the original show, Shark Boy, uh, without being Shark Boy, was my co he was my co-host. We did voiceover on the on the original show because they used that on one of the local stations as a special, you know, because of Brian being a local boy. Uh, but Joe and I sat here and did the voiceovers on the other three shows and uh he was doing more of the play-by-play, which he is damn damn good at. Uh, and I was more telling stories, the background stuff, and, you know, some of the crazy things that had happened at this show or that show. And uh, But I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, I've never seen that before. Well, you know, at, at these shows, they, they grew in such scope that I was running around. I was, okay, you needed the concessions. You needed the merchandise. They need you, in a, you know, here or there. And I got to see some of the matches, but for me to sit down and see this thing edited with all the little teases and, and specials that he pieces he's put in there, I'm excited to do that. I want to do it. I, I'm going to buy a set too, I think. <laughs> now, when you're sitting down with Joe, like certainly when you when you talk about the Pillman shows, the, the match that comes to mind for a lot of people is that match with Regal and Benoit. And not to go down that like that whole path, but for you sitting down, are you – when it comes to watching Chris Benoit match, can you just separate the, the two from what happens with him versus this is a wrestling match, bell to bell, I can call and just appreciate the, the work for what it was? I absolutely can. I know a couple people feel the way I do uh, about, uh, about him. I know uh, Jericho is one. <clears throat> I realize what happened. On, I mean, my God, it couldn't have been any more heinous. I mean, it was horrible. Uh, Nancy, I, I know Nancy before I met Chris. I knew Nancy from the time she started in the business with Kevin. Mm. And uh, Daniel was uh, myself along with uh, Jericho and, and Guerrero and a bunch of guys. Nancy called us the the um, honorary uncles for Daniel, right? So, I mean, I was close. To the, I felt close to the family. Mm-hmm. And it was horrible. And if Chris were alive today, I'd say you should be in jail the rest of your life or, or executed or whatever because that's the truth. But John, he was always respectful, a gentleman, and a pro with me. And there was never a time that we were on the phone together uh, <clears throat> or in person that when we got ready to part, he'd say, well, if we were in person, he'd hug me, kiss me on the cheek. Love you, man. Love you, too. Be safe or on the phone. So I can't forget that. And as you say, I've been doing this almost 61 years, and damned if that boy wasn't one of the best tam- 10 best workers I've ever seen in those 61 years, then I don't know what I'm talking about. He was a machine. And, uh, you know, yes, I used, I used that match 
as a training tool. So does Tom Pritchard. So does several other guys, I think. But I tell kids, you need to watch that over and over. That is professional wrestling at its finest. They're not doing any goofiness, no clown act. It's two athletes in competition. And we need more of that today, I think, John, than ever before. Three of these four uh, shows occur while WCW and ECW are still in operation. Is that a credit to Brian Pillman that these companies, once a year, the the war ends for one night and talent is available? Or was Les Thatcher just such a had such an ability that could keep all of these parties happy, which especially during this time period, less like WWE doesn't have to play nice with anybody. They could have exerted a lot of influence. And yet we got these shows where these companies were all represented year after year. I think that's a real testament to these, to these shows. I think it's a lot of, a, a lot of what you said. I'd like to believe it's, it's a little bit of all of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. First of all, you're right. Now, ECW, WCW, and WWF slash WWE, they paid the airfare for everybody. Out of the show uh, gross, we paid the hotels. We had a hot table with food, chicken, breast, rice, baked potatoes, et cetera, et cetera, salads that were in whatever building we were in that year. That hot table was there for the talent from the time they showed up till the time they left. Uh, we had excuse me, volunteers to take them to the gyms during the day, you know, so forth and so on. Everybody was, you know, it was such a big deal. But yes, that was the only place that you could see the three companies under the same roof at the same time. Now, they didn't wrestle one another. But yes, I think in part when I think when Vince realized that Jericho and Benoit were coming from WCW, he couldn't look like a piker, right? So, okay. And then Paul Lee saw that both those guys were on board and Pillman had been, you know, had been there with them for a period of time. Okay, we better jump on this, too. And so it that's the way it was. And uh, but I also believe that they trusted my that I would, like you're saying, keep everybody as even as I possibly could. You know, and I feel good about that because uh you know, I, well, some of the a really respected w- figure less like this is not some fly by night show that's going on. I mean, you have a lot of trust and equity among a lot of these people that they know that you're running a quality event. This is not so this is nothing that, uh, you know, I think people would they would be proud to be attached to one of your shows. I think it's it was a credit to you that and your team that you guys could pull this off every year. Thank you, John. I, I feel good. You know. Excuse me, I've said several times since we started on this project and now that it's out there and you can see the covers and, and it's you know it's being sold and talked about. I am so proud of what Joe has done in terms of editing the artist that did the cover, uh and you know, what little part I had in, in in this part of it here, but what Brian Jr. has done and everybody that has, you know, contributed uh for for this anthology. But over the years, the people that volunteered, the wrestlers that made those four shows happen, I, I couldn't say thank you enough or couldn't say how much I respect and love them all for what they gave. Regarding Brian himself, you mentioned like both of you come up in Cincinnati. Are you is he first on your radar when he's playing with the Bengals? When when does he kind of come into into your you know knowledge? Well, of course, you know, when he started playing with uh, Cincinnati boy on the Bengals and that 
you know, my mom and dad uh, used to send me newspaper clippings on anything wrestling related or, you know, anything local they think I might be interested in while I was on the road. And so I, I've heard about this Brian Pillman. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then I saw he was going to try wrestling, and I'm thinking, oh, you know. And, and of course, there's a multitude of football players that have done it and been successful, as we both know: Ernie Ladd, mm-hmm. Wahoo McDaniels, to name a couple; Blackjack Mulligan, to name a third. But um, I didn't, you know, I'd never met him or anything. Of course, everyone thought you're both from Cincinnati. You must know Brian Pillman. No, <laughs> it's, since he's a little bigger than that, we we had never met up to that point. But I, of course, had, you know, and then I kind of started following his career and, and saw. And actually, uh, after I had moved back to Cincinnati, uh, actually, we met. It was uh, almost by accident. I was training uh, professional bodybuilders and am- well, am- bodybuilders, period, for uh, Perillo Performance, which is a Cincinnati company. John Perillo is a genius at, at supplementation and diet and all that stuff. And I was working there with him and actually had worked with a couple uh, like uh, Road Warrior Animal and, and his wife were using our supplements and Steve Austin. And of course, John, if if one of those guys called, put me on to him. But I had not met Brian at that time. But I might be in the gym on Monday and somebody say, heard Brian Pillman would beat the hell out of somebody at such such nightclub across the river last Saturday night. So you knew Brian was home for the weekend, right? And so actually he came into the, to Perillo's, uh, with, uh, one of the uh, nationally competitive bodybuilders that we worked with a guy named Donnie Gay. And, uh, that's how I first met Brian. Now, when the, the ankle was fused, he started coming up to, to HWA and trying to, and working on that. And watching that was so frustrating for me because I realized you know, as a young man, they've taken his career basically away from him in terms of what he had done previously. And he's he's driving himself nuts and, and he's frustrated, trying different kind of boots and wanting to try to jump off the top rope. And I finally said, Brian, you cannot land on your good leg all the time or you're going to have two bad legs. It's not going to be one. Mm-hmm. You just you're going to have to stay off of things like that and build whatever your offense is going to be. Often more, you know, stuff on the, on the ground. You, you're going to, you're, a lot of your aerial stuff's going to be, and you can see the frustration with him as well, you know. Um, but and I'm that sure was, that's that's something you can sympathize with less. I mean, you know, someone like me from the outside looking in, it's like here's Brian. He's got all of these skills that he can utilize in different ways. But he's an athlete, and you're wired that way. Like he's he's 33 when the Humvee wreck occurs, and that's, yeah. I mean, you're you're in the prime of your life. You're uh, you're you've been an athlete your whole life, and you've also been told many times that you you can't do this, and he'd over overcome that. And this was just the latest obstacle. I can't imagine the frustration that what that he was going through during that period. Yeah, and, and you know, for those who don't know, John, you mentioned uh, everything. Realize, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, he had over forty th- throat operations. That's the reason his voice was so gravelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. When he walked on to play football at Norwood High School, he wasn't very big at all, but he wanted to be a linebacker. He became one. He also made the Kodak uh, All-American uh, at high, or no, it wasn't Kodak. It was something to do with uh, anyway, high school, state, uh, made the state, so forth, so on. He did a lot of, some of his friends got scholarship offers. He didn't get, walked on at University of Miami or in Ohio which is not that far from Cincinnati, for those who don't know, and uh, became a starter there. 
Kodak All-American or honor, uh, honorable mention, whatever it was. But mm-hmm. he was the only one of that group that didn't get drafted. Walked on at the Bengals. He's, <laughs> he made it. So he has over, been overcoming obstacles in his life from the time he was born, basically. You know, I mean, talk about hard work overcomes whatever. He was a poster boy for that in, in many ways. And uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons he and Benoit uh, bonded so well, because they both were overachievers. And, and, of course, Chris had been told he was too small, right? And so forth and so on. But, yeah, um, Brian, Brian was uh, – he pushed. He pushed. And, and you know, and, and he, was, he was sharp. But it started to all go downhill with him, you know, toward the end. And between uh, frustration with his own family and with trying to play both, you know, WWE and uh, WCW, both uh, play them both and and get that all done. Well, you saw Kim Wood, right, on the thing. Kim's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, Kim, along with Peter, Peter Jones is the son of Arthur Jones, who invented Nautilus equipment. Right. Yes. Okay. Peter... And Kim Wood designed and started hammer strength weightlifting equipment. And then they sold out a number of years ago to Life Fitness. But Kim was also uh, the Bengals strength coach for 20 years. And he is a sharp, sharp guy anyway. But as you could tell by watching him, he didn't mince, he don't mince words. If you ask him his opinion, if you don't want it, you don't ask, right? (laughs) (laughs) But that was, you know, he was more the father, the father figure. Uh, for Ken, uh, for Brian, actually. And Brian's uh, his sister, Linda, what a great lady. I mean, you saw that on, on the uh, Just the Vice seemed TV to be thing. like a, a saint to th- those children. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And somewhere, and, it, you know, I, I told Joe after seeing the, the Vice thing, I thought, oh, my God, I have a letter somewhere in, in my possession that Linda wrote for her mother and herself thanking me for what I was doing for Brian's uh, memory wow. and, and the family and so forth. So, yeah, I cherish that. I do. I, I truly do. And the, the one thing about that, she mentioned the only two uh, people in the wrestling business that were um, at the funeral were Vince and Jim wrong. Les Thatcher was there and uh, Bruce Hart. That's Bruce, right. Bruce wrote the eulogy and you'll hear that eulogy on the, on the, uh, the anal- uh, on the anthology, I can't even talk. Um, I, pr- I got Bruce to, I, I was so taken by that eulogy that when I started the first show, I was getting ready to print a program, and I called Bruce and I said, can you s- send me a copy of your eulogy from Ryan? And it's printed in every, every uh, all four years program. So I said to Joe, we need to put that on there. And I suggested having Bruce do it. But sadly, they both, well, Bruce sounds more like his dad as he gets older. And I realize how many years ago this, that he did the actual eulogy, you know. And so we were afraid it would maybe take too long or, you know, whatever. So Jericho uh, reads the eulogy that, that Bruce wrote for Brian's funeral. Oh, wow. I, I, I didn't realize that because that was um... – you know, uh, for, for those that, you know, Liam O'Rourke wrote a fantastic uh, book, uh, Crazy Like a yes. Box. And, you know, it, it describes like that, it, like that, that scene at the funeral and Bruce just, you know, apparently giving this, this beautiful eulogy. Uh, how, how tense of a, 
of a room was that uh, less being there for for the funeral for Brian and it's uh, to me it was like the most heartbreaking scene in the documentary was the reenactment of the children that they're playing and then have to say bye to daddy and you know they're they're so young at this time they're not fully understanding that like what has actually happened to their father yeah absolutely <clears throat> yeah the funeral it was uh, um you know there were some light moments some of the ball players that he played college ball with um, showed up and, and, uh, a couple of them spoke, you know, and, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a sad trip. Well, you know, I, the crazy thing after we met and, and as I was watching, uh, the dark side of the ring, uh, when Austin broke into the basement, I was there. Yeah. You're, uh, you're on scene for, you know, a, a very famous episode of raw that I don't know if too many people are aware of that. Yeah, well, the, the kids. If if you watch that whole sequence, if if you, anybody remembers it, there there was uh, two two guys outside to fight with with Steve trying to stop him. Those were students of mine, and uh, the one got tossed into one of the Brian's waiting pool, Brian yes. Junior's waiting pool, yes. and and I said, "Are you?" No, no. He was just he. Steve Austin got me wet. I'm cool, man. I, <laughs> I'm good with that. Right. You know, the crazy thing about that, though, John, I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if it's mentioned anywhere. But people in the neighborhood there uh, around Brian's home that were watching Raw that night, they actually thought it was a shoot. <laughs> and they called the cops. The cops showed up outside. Wow. Yeah. They believe they, uh, you know, well, I, I, I didn't know. I, I can't say that anybody knew that Brian was going to pull that gun. Uh, I was as shocked and surprised. Anyway, when Steve knocked that window in, finally in that basement door, that glass flew, my God, 10 feet at least. And I was thinking, man, it's a good thing nobody was standing in front of that damn door. But yeah, I was, uh, and then uh, after Brian's passing, I was, uh, my mom was still alive at the time, and Bruce Pritchard had been hunting for me, and she finally ran me down. She said, Bruce Pritchard needs to talk to you. And I said, okay, I'll call him. He said, uh, we've got a remote truck uh, headed uh, to Pillman's. I need you to go, uh, if, if, you've gotten, if you can get away, to go down and produce this segment. Melanie's going to talk to Vince on the show tonight. And I rolled my eyes to myself, and I thought, Really? Okay, but I, you know, so I went down and produced that segment, and um, yeah, that. Uh, and what's it, going it, through it, your mind, Les, as someone that has been, you know, doing this for almost forty years at this point, and this this was a segment that it was it was pretty stunning at the time in nineteen ninety six for uh, a company to go in this direction. Yeah, absolutely. I, I when, well, when Bruce said uh, Melanie is going to talk to Vince on the air, and I said. Would you repeat that to me, please? <laughs> right? Because, well, you you know, going back, uh, John, to when I, in the 60s and 70s when I wrestled, realize if a wrestler died that had been, well, let's say where I, you know, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee currently. Uh, let's say a wrestler that had been famous here died. Our bosses would have told you, you don't mention that on television. It, it hurts the show. Right. You know? And of course, now virtually anything is—you mention whatever you want now. But yeah, back then it was that was, and I, I won't say it was because they were cold and hard, but they just 
thought that it would, you know, hurt the momentum of their TV show. Right. Which and is I, what I heard. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I was still I had been uh, referencing like the whole gun angle, but you you were also present producing the this is the night after Brian has passed. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. OK. But I realized then, too. See, now, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Jr. mentions that Mel and and, and Senior were having problems already. Mm hmm. And I just sensed, uh, well, he mentions that she was seeing somebody and that somebody was there, but I had no idea except that I was reading their body language, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. They weren't hugging and kissing or anything, but just his name was Mike. And just the way he was around Melanie, I'm thinking there's somebody here besides just a handshake friendship, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't know at the time, but yeah, that was, uh, it was kind of uncomfortable in that respect. Um, but yeah, it was, it was talking about a groundbreaker. Well, the, the whole thing of Steve breaking in the basement at Bill's house too. I mean, my God, you're talking about the attitude era, right? It was, the whole business had an attitude then. Were you surprised at all that, um, M Melanie was, was willing to be part of this documentary that aired last week? I, yeah, I was. I have not seen her in years. And if you read Liam's book, you know why. Yeah, which you read. You read the was, chapter about our shows, right? Yeah, it's you know you you made the call that you know after these four shows you weren't going ahead with with a fifth one, and I, I thought it was pretty unfair treatment of you. Um, and that appears to be the the last interaction you you've had with her. That would have been two thousand two. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, see. We, I lost a couple of my committee members. One of them was worked in the PR department for the Cincinnati Reds. So he was capable of getting press out for us that we couldn't get out ourselves just by using the Reds logo, right? I mean, newspapers and TV, you know, they see that. Okay, well, we're going to plug this. And uh, anyway, and some of the, and like I said earlier, all the talent was showing up free on their days off. We've been doing this four years. And some of the guys, you know, saying, well, she's remarried. And she, at the time, now she was remarried. Uh, I think that was between the year three and four. But uh, anyway, uh, and that came, you know, somebody said to me, well, you know, do they need us now? We raised over $120,000 over the four years for the Brian Pillman Memorial uh, Foundation. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The last two years, we also did a second day, actually a day before the uh, Pillman uh, shows. Uh, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis had passed away with stomach cancer. And we did uh, Mark Curtis Fantasy Camp in 2000 and 2001, um, the day before. And kids came, you know, to work. Uh, I mean, Steamboat, Ben Watt. Think about this if you were a young kid and a wrestling fan, right? Hey, for a few hundred bucks, I can go to Cincinnati and lock up with uh, Ricky Steamboat, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, so-and-so. Would you have spent the money, John? I think so. I would have. Would you? I mean, that, that's just – that that's unbelievable for, for the time, for any for any young performer to be able to, to learn from that. I mean, that was a, a benefit in and of itself. Like that that just is a testament to what the, all these younger talents that just wanted to get to Cincinnati and just find any way – into onto those shows or into that building as that second show in 99 started i could you mentioned the, the independent showcase 
we could have run the independent showcase from 8 a.m. on the day of the show yeah. till 7 p.m. when yeah. we put, you know, I mean, I had guys calling me, uh, we'll pay our own way. We, we won't, you know, I had people actually offering to pay me to be on the show. Wow. Yeah. And and how early and, is and, that starting in the year? Like you're, are, are you talking like months out? We, we start our committee meetings uh, between uh, seven and eight months out. Yeah. Once a week. I did, HWA was kind of dark on Monday. So that's, we had the meetings at the gym on, on Monday evenings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was complicated. And, it, and of course it got harder as it got bigger. Yeah. And, and I think and, it goes uh, without saying like this again is, is mentioned in the book and correct me if I'm wrong here, Les, like you're, you're not making anything off of these shows either. No. This is not some case where this is profitable for you. This is like, you are really one of the, the unsung heroes when it comes to the story of Brian Pillman. And it was one of the reasons I wanted to, uh, to have you on here because th- th- these were very significant shows. And as you mentioned, the sum of over $120,000, that's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, to you earlier, <clears throat> when I, we started, the idea was let's run a little show and the little show grew to be a huge show. And then it was like, can I be on that show? I'll pay you to be on that show. Uh, I want to be on that show. Uh, and I thought, whoa, you know, and I actually had people get mad at me, John, because I wouldn't book them on the show. Yeah, but I offered to pay. I, said, I can't, I can't help it. I'm, I'm loaded. I can't, you know, we did the auctions, you know, uh, we, 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 between, you know, matches several times at intermissions, we did, we did, you know, we like JR's, Stetson, uh, Delos, chest protector, uh, woman's gown, Benoit's boots, et cetera. It's, it's just a bunch of stuff like that. Plus, Joe the Belster, the guy that made the spinning belt for Cena. Mm-hmm. Okay. Joe made, uh, he, he would take the artwork that I had for my t shirts every year and he would make a championship belt. For each Pillman show, and it was, you know, like Pillman 01 or Pillman 99, whatever it was. And the main plate on that belt was the exact replica of the uh, T-shirt, you know, with the dates and then and, and everybody's name on the side plates. We raffled that off. We had artists donating uh, p- painted portraits that we could, you know, all sorts of things like that. It was amazing. And the fan base, this wasn't just like from the tri-state area, Ohio. Kentucky and Indiana. We have people from Oklahoma, from Cal. I mean, seriously, I was blown away by it. That that you know, it grew uh, just you know, like you like you wanted. It. I mean, no one expected it. And and the last year we had right around twenty six hundred people on on one, and uh, it had grown from initially between twelve and thirteen on the first show. For that first year, was Austin on board pretty early on in the process, or was that something that you know once he was involved, suddenly this this little show, as you characterized it, suddenly it, it's that much bigger because an appearance by Austin, you're not getting much bigger than that. In no, uh, in at that April point in time, you you're right. No, you weren't. And uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, Steve was a big part. Well, I think just the fact that you could go to Norwood Junior High School gym and see Benoit. Uh, Austin, Sonny, you know, Jericho, uh, Al Snow, Candido. Uh, I'm trying to think who I'm missing anybody. Uh, plus C wrestling and, and honor, uh, you know, Brian Pillman. And, uh, it, it just, it blew us all away. Steve, um, Steve was emotional that first year. 
and he, and he told me before, uh, you know, early in the day, he said, now, if I start to, to lose it a little bit, he said, cover me, cover up. I said, oh, I got you. Uh, not a problem. But he was now what I wanted to do the second year, because we moved to the Cincinnati Garden which is a venue that I bought tickets to watch wrestling in and a venue which I wrestled in a thousand years ago. But uh, what I wanted there, and we couldn't swing it, was to get Flair and Austin both because that was the two hottest properties for either company at that point in time. And uh, But we got Steamboat came the second. It was Ricky came every year after. He came the last three years. But we, you know, uh, Steve couldn't make it the second year. And but he sent a check for ten thousand dollars. And uh, crazy. Here's a quick side story. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Jericho was coming back the second year and uh, or we had planned for him to. And uh, he called me and he said, I can't make it. I'm on that uh, bruise cruise or whatever it was. WCW was having at the time. And uh, he said, I wanted to go come to. He said, because. Steamboat's going to be there, and I'm a big mark for Steamboat. <laughs> and the years later, if you remember, they got a chance to wrestle on Raw. Yeah. And I'm I'm sitting at home watching. I'm thinking Chris is blowing. He's out of his mind right now, right? <laughs> because he's getting to work with <laughs> with Steamer. But uh, yeah, you know, and that's the thing too. Everybody had so much. I mean, to want to to walk into the locker room, you got guys from. Three major companies and then all these independent guys. And everybody is getting along. Everybody's having a good time. Well, you know, and some of the things you'll see once you, you know, get this, like in 99, we had a cruiserweight tournament. And Shark Boy won the tournament. And unscheduled, I didn't, I didn't even know it was going to happen. Uh, Foley, Conan, uh, Road Dog, and Al Snow run out to the ring unscheduled and pick Shark Boy up and start carrying him around on their shoulders. I mean, just crazy, you know, stuff like everybody was really spontaneous and, and, and so much of the time, you know, I mean, it was obviously the matches were planned and because of being a charity show, we want to get the baby faces over for the most part. Right. But, uh, you know, that first show, Jericho and, and uh, Benoit got me off side. What do you want us to do? I said, I want you to do what you do. I want you to go out there and tear the house down. How you do it is on you. I said, I'm not going to tell either one of you how to work. I don't have to. But that was the way, you know, I mean, we'd say, okay, you're going over, you're going over. Uh, but I told guys, it's on, you know, you're here on your own time, right? Do just have a hell of a match. And everybody worked so hard and the matches were good. Well, you'll see, you'll see it's, uh, well, Mark Henry, uh, makes the comment that it was it, he was mentally was kind of burnt out on the business, right? Mm -hmm. And he and I had a, a little conversation, but then he and Demont and I said, you know, Mark, a lot of, you know, special things happen at these damn shows. You guys go out there and make something special happen. They did. What do you see? What do you see these two big suckers? How the match they have? You will be impressed, John. I promise you. I, I, and of I, course. You know, like I say, every year it was something special, something special. Uh, 01, Malenko announced his retirement. 99, uh, Mark Curtis was supposed to referee the main event. Uh, Conan and Ray Ray 
against uh, Benoit and Malenko. He had the stomach cancer. About three weeks before the show, Pam, his, his wife, calls me at the gym. And he had a port. You know, they were feeding him through a port. Wow. He was losing weight. She said, I want you, we wanted you to know we're taking Brian to the hospital. He's losing too much weight. We're going to have him keep him in there a couple of days. Put some weight back on him. He's in the background yelling to her, you tell Les I'm going to be at that show. I'm going to be there. Wow. Right? And I said, just tell him get his little scrawny ass to the hospital and get well. Okay? So he they came to the show. And... uh I said, I said, I don't want you getting too strenuous out there. I said, I want you to be out there, but not for that main event. I want you to work Terry Taylor and um, Dr. Tom's match because they will for sure know how to take care of you, right? And, and it'll be a slower paced match. Well, he did. And, and that year I was doing ring announcing. So we go out for the main event. And before any one of the four participants come out, guess who I see coming out of the dressing room? Mark Curtis. He gets up in the ring. I said, you're not supposed to be out here, but I want to be, I want to referee this match. I said, you're going to be all right. Yeah, I'm going to be all right. And he said, are you going to stay out here and watch some matches? I said, well, sure. He said, well, if I'm not, you can carry me to the back, can't you? I said, yeah, if you want me to. That little sucker, pound for pound, John, one of the toughest guys I've ever met in my life. He, he wouldn't have missed that for anything in the world. I mean, and, and realized just a few months later he was gone. Would this have been the last show he worked? Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, maybe it was the last show he worked because uh, when they did the thing here in Knoxville, WCW, where they presented him, or Flair presented him with a world title belt. That's a right. bunch of us showed up here to surprise him, and he wondered, but they didn't let him referee. But it was. Uh, who was it? Jericho, Benoit, Guerrero, and Malenko, I think, had the tag. And uh, he, got to, he got to their apron and, and from the outside and counted three on whoever it was. And then we did the Ross Draver, Pennsylvania. You know, uh, Mark Curtis comes home. And that was the last time any of us saw him until we went to the funeral. Yeah, because September is when he passes away. And it was just um, a tragic story. Just such a popular figure. Like, you will never hear a negative word said about Brian Hildebrand. <laughs> no, sir, you sure won't. Just circling back to um, the documentary last week, like I'm sure you've had a chance to, to, to watch the whole thing. Like I've said, you could probably commission a series on Brian Pillman and you could go several seasons deep um, because he lo- he lived such a such an interesting life, like a lot of highs and lows. Um, condensing that, even in a two-hour format, uh, how, did, how did you think um, they were able to get the – the essence of Brian, his influence on a lot of people, and and especially the the impact on on his children as well. Like, how did you feel the the production came across? I thought it was well done. <clears throat> Excuse me. I I thought that um, you know uh, the kids were open. I, I and I, I figured they would be because when I first met Junior in the adult version after after he finished training at Lance Storms. Uh, he, he got back to, uh, you know, he's living with his aunt and just across the river from me in, in Northern Kentucky. And, uh, he called me and he said, Steve Austin and, and Lance Storm said, I should call you and come sit down with you. Be helpful. And I said, sure, come on. And, uh, that's the first chance we, you know, he and I got to talk about it since he'd been an adult. And I think he's dealt with it really well. Uh, you know, I, I the girls, I, I don't know, obviously, 
or haven't seen in, in, in Lord knows since they were small children. But, uh, yeah, he's, um, but you know, one of the things I told him too, I said, listen, uh, your name is going to be a blessing and a curse, right? There's going to be people blowing smoke up your rear end at a hundred miles an hour before you even know how to slap your ass with both hands. And let me tell you, you still got to learn. I don't care what your name is. Your name could be Jesus Christ or Brian Thelman. It don't matter. You still got to learn this business. I don't, you know, but people are going to want to push you before you're ready to be pushed. And I think that's already happened and it'll probably happen again. Uh, you know, and, and he's, he's learning, he's learning, he's going to be okay. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a burden to carry. I think John for him, you know, he, everyone talks about his, and, and, and I, I, I realized too, that you sit and tell him, well, your dad was this and your dad was that and man. I, and he's sitting there thinking, can I top that? Can I be that good? So he's putting that kind of pressure on himself, I believe, too. It's always a very difficult uh, balancing act, I find, when you're, you know, the second or a third generation uh, performer and what you're battling. And what we also have less is an era where somebody that, you know, might need, in a in another generation isn't appearing on television until many years into their career. Today, it's like you could be wrestling two, three years and suddenly a company is scooping you up and you're you're learning on television as well. Yeah, you know, and and to me, uh, that's one of my. Of course, with a pandemic, I understand there aren't any house shows. But then, like I tell people, I didn't create the pandemic, so I, I'm sorry. That's not an excuse. But when I I see both companies putting warm bodies on their TVs that aren't ready to be there, and seeing guys who shouldn't be carrying them are carrying them, or girls who shouldn't be carrying them are carrying them. And it's not good for the for those particular companies or the business, really. And of course, you know, in years gone by, especially now, all these companies are made. I mean, they're television production companies as well as wrestling companies. But you you get your education in the house. In other words, let's let's say let's take a, a Cody Rhodes for example. I if if I were the booker for that company, he wouldn't be going twenty minutes with somebody I never heard of before on my television. If he wants to go 20 minutes with that kid and teach him something, it's going to be in a house show or in a gym. But not I'm not bringing my stars down to try to bring up a marginal talent. Am I making sense? I hope. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I understand that completely. I think it's like the, the whole strategy among uh, like with house shows. I think like that's to me like the biggest argument is like we're in this era now where everything is centered on, on television. But you're also sacrificing something if you're limiting or outright removing house shows from from your entire strategy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, you are. You're right. <clears throat> and and like I say, you, you know, to me, uh, your TV is the pinnacle of your brand and how your brand is perceived. And, you know, I'm so tired of people every, saying everybody's smart because, John, when somebody tells me everybody's smart, I say, obviously, you aren't. You wouldn't be saying that, <laughs> right? <laughs> because you can st- – I mean, the people want to be fooled. I, I wish we could make a, a blanket announcement to every friggin' company in the world. Stop it. F- forget the bad clown act. And let's get back and sell some, get some serious heat because I think people are ready to do that because – I think as a former fan or a current fan myself, 
I'd be happy to forget all the nonsense, you know, the bad things in my life and, and concentrate on getting. Well, right now, I think Roman Reigns is my idea of the best heel in this business currently. And John is more about his facials and his low, his, you know, his soft speech. And, and he, he makes me want to kick his ass. And the guys who are screaming and, and not so much. But, yeah, I think right now Roman's the hottest heel in the business, bar none. He just Simply because like, he's not doing too much. Yeah, it just seems like he came back and, you know, he just had that, that sliver of reality that I left for to care for my family and I was forgotten about. And boom, you've got the justification and he just came back with everything dialed in. And it's it's just hitting on all cylinders. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, you know, that first and when I first noticed it was a, a few weeks back when he was in uh, Adam Pierce's face in the ring and uh, Uso was, you know, uh, walking back and forth behind Adam. And then I noticed myself like I'm up on the edge of the couch and I'm thinking, is he going to hit Adam? Is Uso going to jump at him from behind? And I thought all of a sudden, damn, they've got me mm. because, you know, I'm an old beat up uh, bump taker. And if I'm not sold, I'm not buying. It's that simple, right? Those guys drew me in. They they made me want to see what they were doing. And they made me believe momentarily. That's that's the true art of our of a work. You know, uh, for, for the young guys that might be listening to you and I. 10,000 dies and 47,000 kick, uh, false finishes is not working. <laughs> That's just playing, right? There's more to it. And I, and I think with Roman, it's the facials, you know, and yeah. it's like, he, he's just about to explode, but he hasn't yet. And will he? And I wasn't sure when they wanted to bring Cesaro back against him, but I think Cesaro is a good enough hand, but it's just the way they've used him for so many years. But I think it's going to work because they're taking a little time. My biggest complaint about the business today is too much bad comedy, which is not funny. Uh, I mean, let's face it, there's only one rock that you and I know about in the world in this business, and he is currently not working for any one of these companies. So funny is not in. 9,000 dives, you can keep those at home if you like. But it's things like Roman's facials for me. Or or Cody's, last night, Cody got back to doing the right kind of promos. They were way, when Cody, when they, AEW first started, I said, Cody's the hottest baby face in the business right now. Not because he's a, he's a, he's a solid worker. He's not Benoit. He's not Steamboat. But those damn promos draw you in and get you over. But then they forgot that and they had him go to a Broadway with Orange Julius and I'm having a heart attack over that and one thing and another. But you're wasting your top baby face, people. Right? He don't go 20 minutes with, what's that guy's name again? He He goes five minutes with that guy. If he's a top guy, if he's a top heel or you're building something between them, then they put the time in. There are certain things, John, in this foundation and fundamentals of professional wrestling that I learned 61 years ago are still valid today. I'm so tired of hearing the word evolution. You mean you don't know how to work, so you're going to be a bad comedian and an acrobat. Okay, cool. But please don't tell me you're a professional wrestler. I'm not buying. And I think that's, but I think all this, the bad comedy has increased 
goofy gimmicks have increased. And I think all that a lot to do, John, is with the panic within the industry about the pandemic. Are, are you seeing less from your vantage point that, you know, with so many different companies now that do have national television, are you seeing dis- distinctions or are you seeing a, a lot of patterns be- between? I, I, I see a lot of people. You can almost close your eyes and point to a, one of those shows and say, OK, we'll watch that one because they're all basically the same. I mean, with, with varying, you know, differences, obviously. But, you know, and something else about that. I lived through a, a period of time like this, John, when I was a child. Well, when you called earlier this morning, I was I was reading uh, the Buddy Rogers biography, oh, who was the, my child. The Tim Hornbacker I, uh, book. Yeah. Have yeah. you read it? it it's f- fantastic. I, I did read it a little while ago. I, I lived it. That was my child. Buddy was my childhood idol. I wanted to be Buddy Rogers. Stop and think. A 10-year-old could, kid couldn't have picked a better role model, could he, if he wanted to be a wrestler, for God's sakes. But I was so fascinated by Buddy Rogers. And, of course, if you read the book, all the stuff that happened around Columbus happened in Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. TV, the tr- – I mean, I was there for all that. I mean, it, it, growing up, I've got a picture. It's on my Facebook page uh, with Buddy when I was 12 years old, taken at Music Hall in Cincinnati. He's in his gear. And, I, I you know, and, uh, yeah, I'm 12 years old. And it's uh, – I thought, damn. Yeah, he was, he was my childhood. I, I want my mother to bleach my hair when I was 10. Thank God she she was smart enough not to do that, because realize at, at, at age 10 in 1950 in grade school, I'd have probably been in a damn schoolyard fight every day over, over that hair. But but yeah, I you want me? I I jump up and stretch for you like buddy, but you can't see me, John. Yeah, he was <laughs> he's my guy. But yeah, um, he he's an artist. There's another match. O'Connor Rogers from Comiskey Park, 19, I, I use that as a teaching tool, too. That match will never get old. There's two, two artists at work in, in that match, and it's just uh, – it's am- I use a lot of old stuff. Dr. Tom does as well. Several of us do because that's the foundations that's missing today. You know, so many um, – well, like if, if you watched uh, the Benoit Regal thing again from the Pillman show – uh, somebody put it up on Facebook a few days, ago, uh, a couple or a week or so ago saying, watch, you don't have to start with a headlock and a, and a, and, and a shoot off. Meaning that they were, you know, and that's, that goes back to my generation as well. If you and I are locked, if we're working with the, we're going to lock up, we may tug a little bit, push apart, uh, feeling one another out, right? Today it's too patterned. That's my problem. Well, I, the guys that I te- the guys that I teach from scratch, like Nigel and Shark Boy, uh, uh, Blade, people like that, they can call a match on the fly, and that's the way I teach. Because you need to know how to adjust yourself, and and you and I sit in the back and lay out a a twenty minute match for people we've never seen before in our lives. Or how can we be sure they're going to like it? And if they don't like it and we don't, and we're not capable of changing it, we're in trouble. So for everyone's so, yeah. uh, research material out there, uh, read the Buddy Rogers book, watch Pat O'Connor and Buddy Rogers, which uh, for the time period, Buddy was paid $17,000 for that match. So think about that at that, at that time period of what, what he made for that. Uh, and 
the Brian Pillman Memorial Shows that are available now at PillmanShow.com. Commentary provided by Joe Dombrowski and Les Thatcher. And you can also catch Les on Doc Young's Wrestling Weekly with Victor Sosa. Uh, I'm a big fan of this show at WrestlingObserver.com. Well, thank you, John. Well, I want to get all the, all the plugs out here because, I mean, it's it's not just historical. You're up on all the current stuff uh, as well. And it's been great to uh, catch up with you, Les. There's, uh, there's so much going on. And, you know, 61st anniversary this this July. That That's an incredible wow, yeah. statistic. And you know what? I didn't know. 61 years ago, I I never even, would I be alive at age 80? Are you kidding me? I, I, I'm surprised myself. I, I pinch myself every once in a while, John. But the good Lord has blessed me. I, I'm still healthy, and I'm in the gym five days a week. Wow. And I, may I say that I am available to do weekend training camps. If you are interested, you can drop me an email, lesthatcher28 at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to send you out the information. I have done camps with Rudy Gonzalez at his school in in San Antonio, the Monster Factory. I've done a half dozen up there. I've done, uh, well, it's now the Nightmare Factory, but it used to be the One Fall Power Factory in Norcross, Georgia. I've done uh, uh, Hawk in in New Orleans. I've, I've done all the major school. And, of course, I was a trainer for both WCW and WWE, EF, whatever. So, yeah, drop me a line. I need to work. My creditors want me to work anyway, my John. So I, I better, hadn't I? Well, you can certainly uh, take advantage of all of Les Thatcher's knowledge. Uh, LesThatcher28 at gmail.com is the address where you can contact him. And Les, thanks so much for uh, taking all this time out uh, to speak with us. It was uh, great to catch up with you. I hope we can do this again sometime. John, I always enjoy hanging out with you. Let's don't – well – I may not be around if you wait too damn long, you know. No, we will not wait long. <laughs> we will definitely do this again. Uh, thanks so much, and I do look forward to uh, to checking out the, uh, the the Pillman anthology. It's really a great project that you and Joe have uh, helped put together and get out there because you know it's th- these are huge shows for people that I mean, as I said, it's been like the legend of these Pullman shows and to have them and all of the extras, the independent showcases, um, it, it just looks like a really great uh, purchase. If someone is curious well, to go do back me and, a favor, you drop me an email and let me know what you think of it. Okay. Absolutely. Will do. All right. And I look forward to working with you again, John, you be safe. God bless you. And thanks for having me on.